Welcome to Marketing Legends, a program within the WVU Marketing Communications Today podcast series. Marketing Legends features marketing thinkers, innovators, practitioners, and founders, legends of the marketing world, who join co-hosts Cindy Greenglass and Ruth Stevens to talk about their careers and share their wisdom with the marketers of today. Thank you for joining us. Cindy, we are so lucky to have Rishad Tabakawala with us today. As you know, he's an award-winning author, he's a thought leader, a futurist, and a longtime agency executive, and he has this uncanny ability to read the tea leaves on where society's going, where business is going, and thus where marketers need to be focused. So let's invite this legendary marketer in here to talk with us, shall we? Absolutely can't wait. Welcome, Rishad. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your show. Rashad, we're thrilled to have you on our Marketing Legends and to hear your insights and, and anecdotes. And, you know, Ruth and I have chatted recently about how many marketers, really well-known, successful marketers, have started their careers in mathematics, economics, you know, disciplines and areas that you would not have expected um, and ended up being really successful marketers. And, and we know that you started in mathematics and you graduated from, you know, University of Chicago Booth, which is a renowned economics and uh, mathematical school. How did you end up in marketing? I ended up in marketing in three ways. One was for a strategic reason, which is I always wanted to be a writer but my parents suggested that I do mathematics instead because writing was not going to be a career as well as I had nothing much to say. So I had to live before I knew what I was going to write. And in, in 1982, uh, the Leo Burnett company in Chicago was in those years, the equivalent of a marketing consulting company that basically combined analysis with creativity. So I thought, Okay, I've learned some math, but now I can be around writers. They might be copywriters. So that was one reason. The second reason is while I went and I grew up in India and I also came to the University of Chicago, I did not know enough about American culture. And I thought I should work for a company that is very much driven by culture, which is advertising and marketing are. And the third, as I was somewhat uncertain as to what exactly I wanted to do besides those two things. And Leo Burnett was based in Chicago, had all their employees in Chicago and worked for 32 blue chip clients, McDonald's, United Airlines, etc. So I said, this is great. I can combine art and science. I can learn about lots of different companies and be exposed to American culture. And there it was. That's true. Wow. <laughs> it's like a trifecta for you. And it seems that the whole thing took and you stayed for a long time. So I'm really glad you mentioned wanting to be a writer because one of the ways that people like Cindy and I know about you is through your writing. Do you think that marketers need to be writers today? Is that an essential skill? So I believe that all business people, which include marketers, require six key skills in order to be successful. So when people say, if I'm going to hire somebody, what should I look for? I don't necessarily tell them, figure out what their AI skills are or anything else. 
right? Uh, because tomorrow it might be CI or BO, or who knows what it is, right? But what tends to happen is the six skills are you need skills that have to do with yourself. So I look for curiosity, cognitive ability, and creativity, right? So are you curious? Are you creative? By creative doesn't mean are you an artist, but can you think creatively? And cognitive ability is a certain amount of smartness. I'm not saying high IQ, but certain amount of smartness. But that's the person. But we're all working in a connected world and you can't make anything happen, especially in the world of marketing, without engaging with other people, whether they be your partners, your suppliers, your customers, etc. So the other three skills, which we underestimate, which are going to grow even more important in an age of AI, are how good are you at collaborating? How good are you at communicating? And how good are you at being compelling? It's just selling. So I have, I have as those, you know, so I use the C's. So can you be compelling? Can you be collaborative? And can you communicate? And when you come down to that, it's very, very important that you know how to speak and write because you can't collaborate or be compelling or communicate without knowing how to write and speak. And before you speak, you should at least get your thoughts on paper and you need to write. And writing is a way that basically allows people to continuously improve. And you don't have to be a world-class author, but, but write. And writing forces you to do certain things. And, you know, I've always told people that, or suggested to people that, you know, write a journal, write a diary, write something. Because that is, when you write, you also begin to observe and you begin to think differently. And I would add that I've been told that writing forces you to collect your thoughts. Yes, it forces you to collect your thoughts. It, it allows you to, so my thing always is, okay, if you're angry about something, you know, put it down in a letter, but don't mail it. Uh, so, but, but write down, don't write on an email where it's easy to press send, you know, write down a thing. So, you know, I'll give you an idea. And I, I, I obviously use technology and I'm pretty cool with technology. But so right now I have sit next to my computer, my iPad and my iPhone. So that's technology. I have a Strand bookstore lined book which I write in with a fountain pen. Then if I'm in a plane, because fountain pens don't behave well on planes, with a regular pen and with two very expensive pencils, because I think these are like the tools. So I think these are amazing tools because I'm going to have amazing tools to, to do stuff. And yes, I use the most modern tools, but I use these tools. And this really helps me. And, and so to a great extent, I do tell people or suggest to people that that's why they should write. And you have one other thing. If you write, guess what you end up doing? What? You, you, end, up, you end up reading. Right. Yes, indeed. And what I've basically told, I've also suggested to people, if you really want to understand other people, read. Because it's the closest you're going to get to be like somebody else without being them. Wow, that's great advice. And, you know, there's so many people we speak to today and say they just say they don't have time to read. Right. They don't take the time to read any longer. They do everything visually. It's social media or it's whatever is being served up to them through the multimedia environment that we live in in society today. And sitting down to read is a luxury for some and unknown for many. Yeah. And, and what tends to basically happen is I actually become so old school suggestion on like reading. Not only do I suggest people read, 
but I suggest that they spend some of their time reading in the old analog form called books. Why? Because there's a lot of research that suggests the following, that when you read books, it reroutes your mind in a very different way than when you're looking at something on a screen. The other is it lets you do certain things like write on the margins, pause when you want to pause, and assuming that you're looking at the book and you're far away from in a foot or two from other technology, you do not get disturbed with distractions. There, there is no email notification. There's nothing. You're just reading. So you begin to have deep focus. And begin, when you have deep focus, you begin to, your mind reroutes in a very different way. So over time, I started defecting from certain print material. So I used to read three newspapers in print. Now I read them on my iPad. Over time, I defected in magazines, especially with the big iPad, right? And with a Apple News Plus subscription where I can get all the magazines I want for like you know, $10 a month. But I still read all my books. I don't read them on a Kindle. I don't read them on my iPad, excepting if the book is not available. There's a book that may only be available virtually, I mean, digitally, but I read everything in and I carry books with me. So I always have books with me. And and the three print publications, which I still read, which is quote unquote magazines, not books, is I read the New York Review of Books. I read the Paris Review and I read Granta, all of which I have with me in my bag as I travel. And, and what basically happens is it, it really, really helps because it's your own time. It's silence. It's something that I suggest to people. So reading and writing are very critical. And it, as you say, it helps you think. It puts your thoughts down on paper. And it makes it your time. So when people say me time, I said, okay, for some people, me time is in a tub with a rubber ducky. That's good too. <laughs> okay. But once in a while, you know, read something. Love it. This is great. Great advice. And I'm also really pleased to hear the names of the publications that you read regularly. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing with our readers and our listeners, because we are readers as well. And I know that... Um, uh, it's good to reinforce that. They do say not only does the brain think differently when you read, I have heard when you write that the brain works differently when you actually, the act of writing, moving your hand and writing activates different parts of your brain than typing on your on your keyboard. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll tell you, I, you know, obviously as a book author, I don't handwrite stuff. I write it on a, I'm writing my second book. I put it on a computer, but I take notes along the way on paper, like I hear things, I put them on paper. And, but the other thing that I do too, which is kind of interesting, which I, I suggest to people, because sometimes it's like, how do you know what you just... So when you read a book, what I recommend to people is read the book and you know underline the stuff that you like and star the stuff that's absolutely outstanding, like a paragraph or a line. Mm -hmm. Then later on, a few weeks later, go back to the book and with a pen or pencil, rewrite exactly those key lines on, on paper. So I literally have books with all the best paragraphs and sentences I've ever read. And I revisit them often because it then helps me figure out how to be a better writer because it's, a, it's sort of like a distilled form of thing, right? So I still use, I mean, for writing a book, I use, you know, I, I use a computer, I use search, I now use GPT-4, okay? But I also use these other things. 
And that's my entire thing. We're living in a world where we're complicated. There's not like one answer, right? So I am as deep old technology as I am modern with modern technology. So I can out-modern most people with modern technology and out-deep with old technology. So this is the very thinking that probably led you to the title of your weekly newsletter, The Future Does Not Fit the Containers of the Past, yes. which I think is one of the best titles ever. So could you tell us from a marketing perspective, what are some of the key messages that marketers can learn from, from reading your newsletter? Well, my newsletter by its very nature, which is now read by about 30,000 people every week, and it's 100% opt-in. It's obviously free, but it's 100% opt-in. So I don't send it to anybody. Uh, everybody hears about it, or I talk about it, and people like this today, and people sign up at rishadsubstack.com, but rishad.substack.com. But here's the key. Unlike a lot of people, I don't write about three things. I don't write about the news. I don't write about politics. And I don't write specifically about technology. I cover those. I, I, I cover broadly things. So why people like and what they will learn is every Sunday, it's different. So I've written 149 Sundays in a row. Oh, my. Okay. So 149 Sundays in a row. So I've written the equivalent of 250,000 words, which is five books. Wow. And, and every topic, like, this most recent Sunday, I wrote about kindness. The Sunday before, about modern companies, right? A Sunday before, about the jazz age. <laughs> and so a lot of people like it because they say every Sunday we learn something different. And I say, if you don't like one Sunday, the next Sunday you like it. Okay, so like <laughs> the Chicago weather, just wait, wait around, it'll change. <laughs> um, right. But the, the key things that they will learn are the following. One is how to think about the future. The second is how to rethink the future of marketing and technology. And the third is how to be more effective, both as an individual and as an employee. And finally, at the very end, is how to manage your career. And ultimately, also wisdom, which is what's the point of it all. Now, tell us again, the newsletter that um, how our listeners can uh, subscribe to your newsletter. Sure. So, so if they go, if they just type in Rashad, that's my first name, R-I-S-H-A-D dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com, they will come across a page which basically says, please enter your email. And when you enter your email, enter your email. Because I offer it free and I'm one of the largest read people who still do it free, substack will put up a thing that says, tell this guy that you're willing to pay, say zero. So it's called pledges say zero, you don't have to charge anything, right? It's free. And then you read it. And the reason people like it is in addition to the fact that it's free and it's 100% opt-in, for a person who works in the world of marketing, it has, we, it has no ads. It has no affiliate links. It has no data harvesting. Your email is never shared or sold to anybody because I've got very senior people who look at me. So the only marketing that's done if you think about it, is the whole big thing is an ad for me. 
okay, which is I get to speak to people who are from students to CEOs all over the world, 135 countries for six minutes every Sunday. And they might say, okay, this guy is not as much of a loser as I think, and maybe I'll call him to speak <laughs> or I'll talk to him about something. But that's what it is. Where do you get your inspiration for the topics that you have in your newsletter every week? Uh, that's hard because I have to keep coming up with something new. So there are three places I get it. One is just by, I read very widely and broadly. So just by reading and watching things, like I had something on what I consider to be the best television show ever made called Better Call Saul. And I call that, you know, embracing excellence and why, right? Um, it might basically be when everybody's talking about AI and how it's going to overtake humans. The most recent one I basically wrote was I said, okay, I asked about kindness to GPT-4. I asked about kindness to George Saunders, the author, and I asked about kindness to a famous poet. Here's what George Saunders had to say. Here's what the poet had to say. And here's what GPT-4 had to say. Tell me if GPT-4 is going to ever replace these people. No. But would you like GPT-4's answer? Yes. But it's a very different answer than these other two people's answers. So it's, it's you know, I, when I don't write about the news, like what people are thinking about, uh, or et cetera, or someone tells me something that, hey, you should write about something and say, okay, that's interesting. Let me think about it. That's so great. So you're influencing 30,000 people a week, and probably they're all sharing it with their networks as well. So just kind of flipping that, who influenced you, Rishad, as you were developing your skills and your, your humanity? Well, you know, I think there were three sets of people. There's obviously my parents, uh, who were the people who actually taught me both the joy of reading. They take me, buy me books, etc. And they obviously were one part, one set. The second is a lot of the people that I learned from in my career at Leo Burnett, Starcom, which eventually became Publicis. Uh, you know, people like Jack Clues, Maurice Levy, who are all, I stay connected to all of them. So they basically had the, uh, they did three key things for me, which is they would kick me when I needed kicking. They would lift <laughs> me when I needed lifting, right? And their entire basic belief is just keep getting better. And they were examples, you know, of that. So that was a key. And then, you know, it's everybody I come across. So it's like conversations with you, I've, whoever have conversations. So my basic belief is you can learn from everybody if you just care to listen. Including once in a while, you learn how not to be like somebody. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you've had many good mentors and you've named some excellent mentors in your past. Um, if you could go back to a previous time when you were much younger, um, what would be some advice you would have shared with yourself? So the advice I would have shared with myself is the advice I now share with every person I speak to or every every time I speak and I speak around the world I always make sure that regardless of the topic and unlike most people I customize all my topics to who the people want so I can talk across different topics because of my writing but I always say that at the end can I spend three four minutes about the people in the room so I said like I have an ending which is somewhat similar regardless of what the topic in my audience is. And everybody says yes once I tell them what it is. So this is what it is, okay? What I basically say to everyone is here are the three pieces of advice I would give you. Number one, find one hour every day to learn. Because the day you stop learning is the day you've begun to die. 
And the more and the more senior you are, the more you claim that you have no time. Therefore, you are becoming out of date, and people are going to basically fool you. Right? And I said you can find one hour and find that one hour everywhere, excepting from two places: time with your family or sleep. Okay, because we don't do enough of that. But find an hour by spending five minutes less in the shower, five minutes less on ESPN, five minutes less on TikTok. You can find the hour. Uh, if you can't find the hour, you're basically saying that you don't care about your future, which is number one. Number two is this is for everybody, but particularly for successful individuals who are senior, who I get to spend a lot of time with these days. Once in a while, build a case for the exact opposite of what you think is true. As you get very senior, people basically come and tell you stuff to keep you happy because you sit, your, you sit yourself with senior people, you select your media, you, you found yourself in a world where you start to begin to believe that your flatulence smells like Chanel 5. <laughs> <laughs> and my basic belief is you got someone to basically come and tell you, no, it does not. Okay. And sometimes you have to do it yourself, but you ask for people to challenge. And the third and the last one is, especially among senior folks, is we're living in a world where the next two generations, millennials and Gen Z, but particularly Gen Z, are not wanting to be like us. Okay. And I, I give them three numbers, which blows their mind because it's coming in my second, I'm writing my second book about the future of work or rethinking work. So the, the statistics are the following. 66% of baby boomers believe in capitalism. 22% of Gen Z believe in capitalism. When we were younger, that number was 40%. So it's clearly deteriorated. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is 76% of Gen Z want to work for themselves. Most people question what their bosses do. Okay, and part of what's happened is the reason there's this big thing about return to work is they say, okay, if you are not going to delegate or monitor or check in, which is what you've been doing, and now you can't do that anymore, what do you do? So my third is build something, create something, make something. Just don't shuffle paper and delegate stuff. If you're not big, making, building, or creating, I don't know what you're doing. I don't care how senior you are. So those are my three pieces of advice. Learn, build a case for the opposite, build, create, make. Fantastic. That's quite a challenge. Build, create, make. That is a big challenge, is it not? Okay, what have you made recently? Okay, so I said, somebody asked me. So I said, okay, I've written a book. I'm writing a second book. Every week I write a substack. That's making. I'm just creating, you know, I'm learning new things. I'm doing kinds of stuff, but you, you want to basically, you could be making, it doesn't mean you make, you could be crafting furniture in your home. You could be making a garden. You could be cultivating. It doesn't have to be work-related, but be a creator, a maker, and a builder, and not just a shuffler, delegator, and blamer. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you <Okay>. go. <laughs> great advice. <laughs> That's great advice. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that second one, which is, you know, build a case for the opposite. And I think many of us in the day when we were back in offices, uh, but now on all these Zooms where people just don't say anything, they turn off the cameras, you don't even see them, or they're in, you know, you're in Discord or you're in in in, in one of these um, chat groups. And, and it's like the echo chamber. It's just everybody just wants to reinforce what whoever has the loudest voice or the most passionate response. 
And sometimes the people who are most passionate about something are the ones that we all want to listen to. And those of the rest of us just don't have a strong enough opinion. So, you know, I wonder how you feel about is, is it, um, you know, you can be personally smart and collectively stupid when you end up in these group environments. How do you protect yourself from always being in that echo chamber of others in the environments we're in and work these days? I think the three. One is my first one. It's one of the reasons I spend time reading is because you're far away from everybody but yourself. And more importantly, if you're a good reader, you're even far away from yourself. You leave yourself and you're in the mind and emotions of the people that you're reading, which is one. Which is one of the reasons I suggest to people that they disconnect, right? There are other things, obviously, nature and all that other kinds of stuff, which is also important. The second is also to recognize that in effect, and I had a guest on my podcast, Kat Gordon, who basically said that, you know, when we think about diversity, we have covered all kinds of diversity, excepting two types of diversity. One is, how do people like working? Some people might prefer working from home. Why are we basically making one rule for everybody, right? So that, right, that's one. Second is diversity of personalities. What tends to happen is the corporate world tends to overemphasize and corporate leaders. The United States, based on Susan Cain's quiet book, is about 50% introvert, 50% extrovert. Mm-hmm. In business, it's about 85 to 90% extrovert. So we are not even having diversity of people because we're basically saying it's 90% of this type of person. And part of it is to both build a corporation, sequences, and other ways that you get everyone's voice heard, So what I've basically said, diversity of faces is not the same as diversity of voices. Very good. Wow, we have learned so much from you today, Rashad. Thank you very much for giving us your your time and insights. Just to wrap up, do you have any anecdotes from your career that you might like to share with our listeners? Well, I'll, I'll give you two anecdotes, one on feedback and one on how we all make major mistakes all the time. So not to worry too much about it. Okay. Uh, So on, on making major mistakes all the time, you know, one of the things I was doing for publicists and the company's predecessor to that was I was responsible for trying to figure out where the next thing was happening and making sure that we were well positioned. Uh, And I tended to do that, but I missed search that how big search was going to be. I missed it for about six months and then I figured it out. And then we caught up because it cost us a little bit of time, to, not time, it cost us a little bit of money to catch up because I realized we had fallen behind and we had to buy somebody. Uh, but I realized that mistake. So it wasn't like someone came to me, but I realized. And the reason I, that I realized that mistake is because I was focusing too much on my clients. And search engine marketing was not born with large companies. They were born with small companies who were not advertising. So I came up with a line, which is a slightly different line than the one that is my substack, which is the future does not fit in the containers of the past. That line is the future comes from the slime and not the heavens. (laughs) So pay attention to the small people, the different people, the people who look a little crazy, right? Just don't hang out with all the powerful people and the big brands because you may not learn this one, right? And the second one is on feedback is, you know, you today we're living in a world where we are very sensitive of both getting and giving feedback. 
because we don't like getting feedback. We get into defense. We are very scared about giving feedback. We don't want to piss off people. And today, because of DEI and other rules, we're scared to death that someone will haul us into a place that we don't want to be hauled into. So as a result, people don't provide any feedback. So in my book, my first book at the end of chapter 10 is a story, uh, which every person, when I first was you know, getting some early draft readers, I shared it with a lot of people, including a lot of women and people of color. And almost every woman and person of color basically called me and said, can we talk to you about this particular story? So I said, yes, do you want me to remove it? They said, no, we want more of it like this. Because, and what it was, was basically a boss of mine telling me that it was all very fine, me talking about cricket and Indian food, but I was living in America. I needed to learn more about American culture and American sports, and he was going to help me, and he was going to send me to sporting events, and he had, would have his kids take me to University of Wisconsin and Michigan homecoming games, and he himself would make sure that I was more accustomed to American culture, because he said, if you're not accustomed to American culture and some of these nuances, despite you being very good, our business is a business not only of content, but relationships and of culture and community. And you are very standoffish. You only talk about cricket and you don't say anything unless it's about work. And that's not going to work. So they're going to make you loosen you up. And part of it is because of where you've come from. N nothing wrong with you being an Indian, but you don't know about baseball. You don't know about football. You don't know what homecoming means. You don't know what any of these things that people are talking about. And the University of Chicago has no football. So you don't learn anything there. <laughs> right? So I got to help you. Now, that is what helped me make my career. One was because he told me these are things you need to do. He took care of it. He didn't say you suck. He says, here are things I need to help you on. Let me help you. But increasingly, as people said, like today, people would not say that to you because you could turn around and say you don't, you're doing something like culturally wrong. He didn't say anything. He didn't say like you suck because you're a short brown Indian. He said, because of where you've come from, you don't know enough about American culture. Let me teach you about American culture. He didn't say Indian culture is not good, right? Or cricket is not good. And those are things that we have to, so I go out of my way to get feedback from people because today people are not giving you feedback. So you should ask for it. Ask for it and don't be afraid of what they have to say. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, one of the key things is we always think about FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Yes. I think the real challenge most of ha us have, and my most recent guests have this, is FOFO. What's that? Fear of finding out. Well, we have found out so much in this uh, time together, haven't we, Rashad? This has been fabulous. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. Just wonderful. Thanks very much. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Legends, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. The WVU Reed College of Media's online programs is honored to host these amazing guests who have helped make marketing what it is today. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to hear previous discussions, listen to the Marketing Horizon series, subscribe to receive updates, as well as learning more about the renowned WVU Marketing Communications online programs.